the process of autophagy. So this waste and recycling process that goes on in our bodies in an unfed state, you want to think about it as taking the garbage out. So where we're in an unfed state, it allows our bodies to upregulate autophagy and we can go in and remove disease, disordered organelles, mitochondria that have the potential for going on to create disease or precancerous cells and things like that. And I think for a lot of people, it's understanding it's this efficiency. Our bodies are designed to be exquisitely efficient, but in our modern day lifestyles, we lose sight of this. All right, everyone, welcome to a very special Heal Thyself episode number 200. Y'all been with me for so long, and I can't express enough gratitude about how much is in my heart that you all been here showing up week after week, time after time, sharing this with your loved ones, taking these things into account. Man, the DMs I get, the emails that I get when I see people in person, how this podcast has helped change their lives is nothing short of amazing for me. And it really opens up my heart and I feel even more motivated to show up for all of you. And that's such a beautiful thing to do. And I'm so happy that y'all just showing up and really, really taking in this information. Today, as always, we got an amazing show for you. Cynthia Thurlow is the intermittent fasting queen out there. She is the best of the best and a lot of you ask questions as women, should I be fasting? When should I be fasting? I'm at this age. This is where I am. What do I do? How do I fast? She's going to give you the nitty gritty, all of the best take home stuff about better fasting for better health and better longevity. So thank you so much again. And this show is going to be amazing. Heal Thyself episode number 200. All right, everyone, we have a very special guest today. You know that I've been talking about the benefits of fasting in the context of just longevity, cancer, feeling good in your body, but I haven't talked much about intermittent fasting. And guess what? I got the queen of intermittent <laughs> fasting, Cynthia Thurlow, right on the show. I know you've been talking about this so much. Welcome to the show, Cynthia. Thank you. I've really been looking forward to connecting with you. I uh, listen, listen, intermittent fasting has been something that I've been doing it, even before I learned about it just by listening to my body. And there's so many benefits. What is the most powerful benefit you have found for intermittent fasting? Oh, gosh. I, I mean, there's so many, but I would say the one that most people don't recognize is one of the key benefits is the process of autophagy. So this waste and recycling process that goes on in our bodies in an unfed state, you want to think about it as taking the garbage out. So where we're in an unfed state, it allows our bodies to upregulate autophagy and we can go in and remove disease, disordered organelles, mitochondria that have the potential for going on to create disease or precancerous cells and things like that. And I think for a lot of people, it's understanding it's this efficiency. Our bodies are designed to be exquisitely efficient. But in our modern day lifestyles, we lose sight of this. You know, we have access to food 24 seven. We're very hedonistic. Uh, we're very dopaminergic. So we're always looking for that next dopamine hit. So I think the the biggest benefit of fasting that I personally like my patients to really understand and clients is the process of autophagy. And it's not as if it turns on and off like a switch. It just gets upregulated or downregulated with another process called mTOR. But I think for purposes of our audiences, it's really helping them understand that when we are in an unfed state, there's a lot of benefits that go on beyond changes in body composition and weight loss, which is why a lot of people are curious about fasting to begin with. A hundred percent. I think I remember last year or the year before, it was one of the most searched uh, health- 2019. Yeah, terms on, on Google. And I was like, oh, wow, fasting really blew up like that. And yeah. I guess people are drawn to it because we hear about the benefits and we wonder, okay, I feel like my friend did it and they felt so good. It was this day one or day two or however many days, they just start feeling better. But when it comes to intermittent fasting, what does that mean? If I don't eat, if I just skip dinner, is that intermittent fasting or skip breakfast? Are there different types of fasting? And how accessible is an intermittent fast for us? Yeah, I would say yes to all of the above. Intermittent fasting is as simplistic as eating less often. Now you have longer fasts, shorter fasts, 
Um, you know, when it comes to genders, you know, men and women, men and women need to fast a bit differently. And if you look at the research on chronobiology and the systems that go on in terms of our exposure to light and darkness and melatonin and cortisol, our bodies actually do better skipping dinner than they do skipping breakfast. That's not to say you have two or three hours after you wake up before you eat, but eating earlier in the day has a lot of metabolic health benefits. And so when I'm talking to individuals, I just help them understand that what's really important about fasting is it's A, number one, it's flexible. And it's designed to be very aligned with these ancestral health perspectives, meaning this is how our bodies evolved. They weren't designed to be eating all day long. So I'll give you an example. When someone comes to me and they're new to fasting and perhaps they're eating a standard American diet and they're not physically active and they're eating snacks and mini meals and because that's what we've been telling our patients to do for a long time, which we now know is not correct. And so really helping them understand that the first kind of step as you're approaching this this strategy is to understand that in order to go from breakfast to lunch and lunch and dinner, you have to remove those snacks and adjust your macronutrients so that you will not be hungry, you know, starving. Part of the problem is, you know, it's the, the way we've encouraged our patients to overeat carbohydrates and under eat protein, but it's also encouraging people to eat more frequently, which is driving some of these metabolic health issues. So when I'm kind of approaching this as a new modality, we talk about meal frequency. We talk about when people should be not eating and when they are eating. And then helping people understand that eating three hours before bedtime is reasonable, but eating one hour before bedtime is not. And then depending on someone's metabolic flexibility, whether or not someone is insulin sensitive or resistant, then we can fine tune whether they're fasting for 16 hours a day, whether they're fasting for 12, which I like to refer to as digestive rest, or would they benefit from a longer fast, 24 hours, 36 hours, et cetera. So it's highly personalized, it's highly flexible. And again, it's really understanding that each one of us needs to do things a little bit differently. Like I, as a, an example, I have an Italian mother. My mother went bananas when I was growing up because I never wanted to eat breakfast. I've never been a breakfast eater. And when I forced myself to eat breakfast, it would just make me sleepy because what do we tell our patients to do? You know, we have that cereal, have that yogurt, have that muffin. I mean, just all things that are like eating dessert for breakfast. And so I think for a lot of people, once they start eliminating that sugary, carbohydrate-laden breakfast, they feel so much better. You know, skincare isn't just about looking good, right? A lot of us want to look good, but it's not just about looking good. It's about nurturing your skin and being well-balanced from the inside out. And, you know, this world is flooded with a bunch of harsh chemicals that are really insulting our skin, our barrier. And you want something truly effective that is safe. Alitura is one of the best in the game. If you never heard of Alitura, you just think of, you might've seen some uh, black bottles with gold writing on it. It's one of the best. And they're always at health events and people are loving them. And their quality. Alitura Naturals has crafted a serum that is not only safe, but also incredibly effective. Listen, a lot of you ask me where I get my glow from. This is a huge part of the equation. Their gold serum isn't just another skincare product. It's a testament to the power of natural healing and a commitment to holistic health. It uses organic ingredients like jojoba, olive, rosehip oils, and the gold serum is made organically with plant-derived vitamin A, not synthetic stuff, not that nasty stuff that you're getting in a lot of these over-the-counter products, GHKCU, and marine collagen to revitalize your skin. Alitura Naturals has been using the best ingredients in their products for years. They've been pioneering the path for what truly transformed skin should be. So if you're ready to take control of your skin health and experience the pinnacle of natural beauty, I highly recommend checking out Alituria Naturals. For a limited time, you, the Heal Thyself listener, will enjoy the exclusive discount, just the Heal Thyself discount, only for you. That's 20% off of this gold serum. Go to alitura.com and use the code DRG for 20% off. That's A-L-I-T-U-R-A.com and get that 20% discount. It's amazing stuff. I use it every night before bed and I'm telling you, I'm on fire with my skin in a good way. Check it out. It's been a long time since I promoted a coffee because there's not that many good coffee brands. We got one of the best ones now on Heal Thyself. Are you ready to elevate your coffee game? An experience of proof that's not only delicious, but it's also health focused. Let me introduce you to Purity Coffee. You heard me review them in one of my first ever coffee reviews as one of the best, and then my second ever one as one of the best. And it's one of the best still. It's an ultimate choice for coffee lovers who, who prioritize taste as well as well being. I'm gonna tell you what makes Purity Coffee stand out from the crowd. Every step in their process is rooted in health focused principles backed by solid scientific research based rigorous testing. 
They use the finest specialty grade organic Arabica beans and then move on to small batch roasting, ensuring that each cup meets the highest standards of quality. But what really sets Purity Coffee apart from all the other coffee brands is their dedication, is my favorite, is their dedication to purity and safety. Their beans undergo third-party testing to ensure they're free of pesticides, toxins, and harmful mycotoxins, those pesky substances that can wreak havoc on your health, causing issues like liver and kidney damage, digestive problems, brain fog, and fatigue. Purity Coffee also has some of the highest antioxidant capacity. And this is important because we have to understand coffee is actually really good for us when we're getting quality coffee. And the reason it's good for us and ensures so many benefits, especially heart health, is because of its antioxidant capacity. Purity has one of the highest antioxidants that you're going to find in coffee, giving you a powerful dose of healthy boosting compounds with every sip. Purity Coffee is grown on regenerative organic farms that prioritize soil health, animal welfare, and community well-being. They have certifications by USDA Organic, Rainforest Alliance, and Smithsonian Bird Friendly. You can also trust Purity Coffee is not only good for you, but also good for the planet. They have a range of roasts from their light medium roast with sweet fruity notes and their dark roast with rich bold taste. So to try out one of my favorite coffees in existence and one that I recommend to everyone still to this day, I've been doing it for years, is Purity Coffee. Go to puritycoffee.com and use the code DRG for 30% off of your first purchase. That is P-U-R-I-T-Y-C-O-F-F-E-E.com and use the code DRG for 30% off of your order. I love the idea of the flexibility, right? Because it's not right for everyone at a certain amount of time. So when we think about someone with insulin sensitivity, right? They're pretty robust and they're fairly healthy. Does that mean they fast less amount of time or or they can go longer? I, I think that it, we have to take it in the context of, are you male? Are you a menopausal woman? Because they have less hormonal fluctuation day to day, week to week. And I would say that if someone's insulin sensitive and they are a male or a, post, a, a menopausal female, so 12 months without a menstrual cycle, they can get away with a little bit more fasting than a woman at peak fertile years, so 35 and under, or a woman that's in perimenopause. And I like to think of women in three separate buckets, if you will, to kind of get a sense. So I think on a lot of different levels, when we're talking about fasting, we have to approach it at a level that, uh, that really embraces a woman's physiology and their menstrual cycle. So those very lean, insulin-sensitive women that are 35 and under, maybe they fast one day a week. Maybe they fast two days a week during their follicular phase when estrogen predominates. Maybe they don't fast at all. They just do 12 hours of digestive rest during their luteal phase. They're still getting benefits from eating less often, but these are not the people that I encourage to fast every day. Um, I also think about the perimenopausal woman, you know, the 10 to 15 years preceding menopause and how we become less stress resilient and why it's so important to understand that sleep and stress and over-exercising and over-restriction of macronutrients can be like adding gasoline to a fire. And so I think it's it's very important for us to get really granular and honest with ourselves because there, there seems to be this emerging trend. And I don't just see this with women. I also see with men. If a little bit of fasting is good, more is better. If a little bit of food restriction is good, more is better. If a little bit of exercise is good, more is better. And it's really important to identify that hormesis or beneficial stress is the right amount of stress at the right time. And I think for a lot of people, it's it's helping them understand, is their body in a position that it can withstand more stress or do they need to back off and just do 12 hours of digestive rest, which is still, you're outside the norm. You know, it's, it's outside the norm of what most people are doing in, in the United States, but it's also still conveying some benefit. And I, I actually tell my teenagers, I have two very athletic teenage boys I even remind them that there's a period of time when they should not be eating. Now, they could eat all day and all night if yeah. they wanted to because their metabolisms are just, I mean, they're in this massive anabolic growth phase. And I remind them that at some point that will stop and they're going to have to you know, regulate the, the some of the things that they're consuming. But the reason why I'm sharing this is this is the perfect example of bioindividuality, really understanding that for women, it's dependent on their life stage. For men, if they're insulin sensitive, it's really dependent on what makes them feel good. If, you know, my husband is a pretty healthy, you know, 50-year-old guy, and he enjoys fasting about 16 hours to 18 hours a day, and he does really well with it. You know, it's interesting. I think it was Ted Naiman. He's a physician that was talking about the, the you know, the diminishing law of return. So if you are insulin sensitive and lean, after about 24 hours, you really have to determine, are you going to lose muscle mass for the sake of longer fasting? And so it, that those are some of the questions 
And some of the things I like to bring up, you know, for me, it's all about maintenance of muscle mass as a muscle is an organ of longevity, helps with insulin sensitivity. So just being mindful of that. We don't want to be over fasting at the detriment of breaking down our muscle. Mm. And very powerful to think how personalized these fasting interventions can be because when I'm sure when you Google, why is fasting healthy? How do I fast? You're going to just have something very blanketed for everyone. And, and oftentimes men and women are just following these fasts that they see and they go, I'm going to do this. And maybe they don't feel better. And then they go, I don't want to fast anymore. Fasting is not for me. So it's really understanding that personalization. And, and I, and I really align with that because like you said, the word bio-individuality, uh, you said something that caught my ear. It was the nighttime, right? It's better to eat during the day, following the rhythms of, of light in our, in our cells. But when nighttime comes, is there ever too late to eat? Is there a cutoff time that we need to stop eating in order for it to be beneficial to our rhythms? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it really comes down to how do you feel when you eat two hours before bed? Um, how do you feel when you eat one hour before bed? And helping people understand physiologically what's happening when we eat a bolus of food and our bodies are saying, okay, wait a minute, the melatonin clocks that we have throughout our guts and our digestive system, they, they slow the, the secretion of melatonin and they increase cortisol because it's trying to process this bolus of food. And so I, if it's a one-time thing, I'm, I don't think it's a big deal, but we know it'll also impact your sleep and impacts your blood sugar regulation, impacts your sleep quality. So I think it really comes down to if it's a one-time thing, it's probably okay, but I see a lot of people that are still going out for these big dinners at eight o'clock at night. They're eating for two hours and then they're trying to go home and go to bed. They're getting reflux. They don't feel good. They're bloated. So I think it's knowing your body and understanding that, you know, when you are choosing to eat may have a large net impact on your art, your HRV. So heart rate variability, your hydration status, really understanding that the choices we're making in terms of a light dark cycle do have an, a net impact on melatonin and cortisol secretion. And I think the other thing that I would add to that is, you know, during wintertime, it gets dark so early. A lot of people just say it's not, I, I can't eat at four o'clock in the afternoon. I really do need to eat six or seven. That's very different than during summertime. If you're eating, you know, you're eating at eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night, and that has become your norm. And you're wondering why you're putting weight on and you're wondering why your sleep quality is eroded. I think it really comes down to honoring the chronobiology of our of our the rhythms that go on in our bodies and determining with some degree of experimentation what works best. I don't do well eating late. Like it messes up my HRV, it messes up my pulse rate, um, and you know my aura ring, which I wear every day, <laughs> will just be squawking at me in the morning. Um, but that's just the stage of life I'm in. I, I acknowledge that what I did in college and grad school would not serve me well at all now. But at this stage of life, I just know that I do better. And, and that was maybe one of the blessings from the pandemic. I eat earlier in the day and I close my feeding window earlier. And that works really well for me. And my family has been very supportive. Uh, but I think, you know, to your question, if you look at the research, more and more you're seeing people are suggesting to skip dinner. So maybe having a later breakfast and then having a, you know, an early dinner or a late lunch in the afternoon is going to be better in terms of optimization of hormonal regulation in the body. Incredible to think because so many of us really eat late. I mean, I remember from college, I would have dinner like eight o'clock, nine o'clock, and, and that was okay. But you mentioned it's the stage of life that you're in, right? And, and things just change. But man, eating late, I'm rolling around in bed, I'm sweating in bed, my aura ring is yelling at me like, like it does you in the morning. So I, I would I would actually encourage everyone try it out. See, stop at seven. Maybe stop at six one day. See if you even feel better. Right? You can get something that tracks your sleep, your pulse rate, your heart rate variability. It can make a really really big difference. You said something about snacking. Now, okay, a lot of people love snacking. Right? There, I, sometimes in the middle of the day, I'll find myself in the pantry just looking for something to snack on. Um, when it comes to snacking, is that affecting the benefits? of what fasting can do in our body is really just like a handful of nuts going to totally sabotage those benefits. Yeah, I, I don't I don't per se worry about someone consuming a, a handful of nuts. You know, as you're gravitating towards adjusting your macros, so protein, fat, and carbohydrates, I help people understand that if you're hungry in between a meal, I'm not suggesting you starve. That that is not never the message that I want to send. 
But I do encourage individuals to understand that there's a certain level or quantity of protein that you need to be hitting in those meals so that you're satiated and so that you are not hungry for, you know, three, four or five hours in between your meals. So if you have two meals during the day, understanding that you really shouldn't be getting hungry. But if you're new to um, removing snacks and adjusting your macros, that may happen. Um, the nuts are always one of those things. Like I love salted macadamia nuts, but they're so easy to overeat. So I always uh -huh. encourage people, you know, fats are much more calorically dense than protein and carbohydrates. So just understanding that if you eat half a bag of nuts, you may derail all the good things that you're doing during the day. But we also know that fat has a more negligible impact on our blood sugar as opposed to carbohydrates by themselves or even protein. And so if you were hungry in between meals and you were new to fasting, I think have the nuts and, and let it go. But generally speaking, if someone needs a snack, I usually encourage them to have some protein because that is going to help with satiety and it, it helps us get towards those protein thresholds that I think are really important for us to embrace on a daily basis. Is it, yeah, it's one of the macronutrients that we don't get enough of, especially as we get older. You know, a lot of, I know a lot of populations over 50 who are definitely not eating enough protein. So essential. And you mentioned about the importance of muscle longevity. Muscle as a hormone, it's it's really, really important. So I love the idea of just grabbing some protein quick snack, whatever it is that you have if you are snacking. Um, so I want to look at the intermittent fasting as a whole. I, I, I want to know different parts of the body, what's happening? How is this intermittent fast benefiting me? Let's say I stop eating at seven o'clock, I wake up in the morning and I don't eat till 10 or 11. What's happening in my body? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, on a cellular level, so where if you're going 16 plus hours, you're getting some upregulation in that waste and recycling process. We know that your biophysical markers, you know, your blood pressure, your blood sugar. All right, let me just back up and say, ideally in a insulin sensitive individual who is metabolically flexible, their body can utilize carbohydrates or fats as a fuel source. So in a metabolically healthy person, we're going to get improvement in biophysical markers, blood sugar, insulin, we know that when we're in an unfed state, our body is going to ensure that we're going to keep our insulin levels low, which allows our body to access stored fat, fatty acids, to use as a fuel source. So we're going to get you know, brain clarity. When you get up in the morning, you're going to feel great because your body is using stored fatty acids and, and ketones. In particular, there are specific ones that diffuse across the blood-brain barrier, BDNF in particular. Um, allows you to have incredible brain clarity. Um, your cognition is going to be improved. You think about just from on a level of a reduction in inflammation in the gut, a reduction in the in the body systemically, but also particularly in the gut, the gut microbiome in this unfed state where you're going to get upregulation and um, transmission and production of those healthy neurotransmitters that make us feel good, you know, serotonin, dopamine, et cetera. I also think about on a lot of different levels when we're in an unfed state, there's a reduction in oxidative stress. And so oxidative stress and inflammation go together. I always like to remind people acute inflammation is good, chronic inflammation is bad. Um, and for many people that are transitioning from, you know, being in their pre-fertile years into perimenopause, andropause, menopause, this is a time when, when we start heading into what I like to think of as a disease state because we're having so many diffuse changes in hormone regulation in the body that can really contribute to what's going on. You know, you're Typically, your cortisol should be should be lower because you have these counter-regulatory hormones that are kind of stepping in to help suppress hunger. Um, when you are in an unfed state at, uh, around 1 a.m., you'll get a peak if you're a man in growth hormone and also testosterone in a woman, peak in growth hormone and also some estrogen. But I think it's important for people to understand that this unfed state is really where the magic happens. And it's less about changes in body composition and less about... Um, weight loss and more about the things that are quietly going on underneath the hood, if you will, and helping people understand that it's the cumulative day to day. It's not just one day that does this. It's cumulatively over time, the improvement in blood pressure, the improvement in your lipids and your triglycerides and your LDL and your HDL. I've seen people that have been cured, have been cured of um, diabetes and insulin resistance just by eating less often and adjusting their macronutrients and getting higher quality sleep. I think that's really important to mention that, you know, I always remind people that if you wanna lose weight, you have to sleep through the night and many middle-aged people don't. I know your population that I'm speaking to are a little bit younger, but helping people understand that physiologically, there are things that start changing in the body. 
around 35 to 40 for most women that can impact their sleep and and helping them understand that the fasting can be very beneficial. Also regulation of leptin and ghrelin. So these key satiety and um, hunger hormones that are better regulated when we're getting high quality sleep and we're um, properly feeding and fueling our bodies and giving our, our bodies opportunities to rest. Mm. I, I, you broke it down. You gave it, you gave me the whole breakdown. I love this. One thing that really attracts me is the brain, the clarity, the focus. So let's say somebody has, they're doing a big lecture, right? They, this person go, or I have a big presentation at work. Would it be smart for that person to eat a early dinner? And I know it's bio-individual, but eat an early dinner, sleep, not eat in the morning and then do the presentation? Or should they be eating for that big thing that they really need to use their brain? Uh, you're going to ask me personally, and I'm going to say that I typically do all of my talks fasted because wow. I do feel like the mental clarity is really a huge bonus unless I'm talking later in the day and then I might actually want to eat a meal. I think that that it can be dealt with a couple different ways. Number one, you can be fasted and feel great. Number two, sometimes exogenous ketones can be a fun way to give your body a little bit of... Um, you know, you're giving your body a little bit of fatty, you're giving your body some some ketones, which is another macronutrient. Um, you, technically, you're not, well, technically you break a fast because there's some degree of calories, but it's with the intention of fueling the brain, um, you know, really helping to optimize things. Number three, you could eat, but you would really want to make sure you're having protein and some healthy fats or protein and the right types of carbohydrates. So I think it's very individual. Some people you know, they feel very uncomfortable thinking about fasting until one o'clock in the afternoon when they have a talk. Yeah. Other people might say, it's just so much easier. I don't have to worry about eating before I speak. And that's generally my methodology that I really feel a whole lot better. In fact, when I was in the, you know, the crush of the book launch, um, almost all the podcasts and media that I did, I did completely fasted because I just felt like I was sharper. You know, I was on top of those details. I was not struggling to find words. Uh, and I think for a lot of people, there's a degree of experimentation and, and that's totally okay to find out what works best for them. But more often than not, when I encourage my clients and patients to attempt to do some of those meetings or those talks or this podcast in a facet state, they feel really good. They're actually uh -huh. surprised. And because those counter-regulatory hormones are upregulated, so norepinephrine, epinephrine, uh, it suppresses your hunger cues. So you may just be thirsty. And, and certainly I encourage everyone to stay really well hydrated and consume electrolytes in a fasted state, but they're not hungry. And that's a really important distinction. Yeah, yeah, which makes sense, right? So before you do that, make sure you're drinking enough water, get electrolytes, but the norepinephrine going up, you're gonna be focused, right? You're, you're focused. gonna be like, okay, I'm, I'm in here and I'm not stumbling on my words or in this big presentation that I'm doing for work. Really cool. I, I always wondered, okay, if you have something big coming up, is it best to eat or not eat? You know, when it comes to overall health, the little daily habits can make a huge difference. Take flossing, for example. Seems like such a minor thing, right? But taking good care of your teeth and gums does way more than just prevent cavities and bad breath. Emerging research shows that it can actually support whole body health and may even prevent cognitive decline as you age. That's wild, right? That's why... I'm really excited to tell you about this awesome company called Slate and their game-changing three-in-one electric flosser. It's the only product out there that flosses your teeth, massages your gums, and even scrapes your tongue to remove bacteria to promote fresher breath. I've been using the Slate flosser for about a month now, and I'm hooked. Unlike regular floss picks that you have to jam into your mouth, this electric flosser does all the work for you with 12,000 sonic vibrations per minute, really cleaning out them gums. The innovative gum sweeps Give your gums a gentle massage to increase circulation too. And let's not forget the built-in tongue scraper to help zap bad breath at the source. So to start one of the easiest and healthiest daily habits with the Slate Electric Flosser, go to slateflosser.com and use the code DRG to get 10% off of your very own flosser. That's 10% off of your easy-to-use Slate Electric Flosser at slateflosser.com slash DRG, S-L-A-T-E-F-L-O-S-S-E-R.com. And the code is DRG. You know, living a long life is great. It is. We all want to live longer. But what's even better is living those years in good health, right? Free of the chronic diseases and the ailments. Unfortunately for many, the gap between lifespan and health span is way too wide. And we spent our last years ill, not enjoying our life to the fullest. And that's why I'm always into research 
based products, quality supplements that are coming out to you, the highest, the best of the best, some of the best rigorously tested supplements. And one of my favorite companies across the board is Momentus. And they have two that I use every single day, creatine and collagen. These are the two powerhouses at work. I've been opened and I've been working out more four times a week. I'm lifting heavy weights. And these are staples. And, I, and not just me, I think everyone should be out working out, building muscle, staples to muscle repair and muscle growth. But what sets Momentus apart from the rest is its clinically researched formulas. For the collagen, it delivers 15 grams of collagen, supporting your body in various ways. And it's not just one type of collagen, it's all the types of collagen, right? A lot of companies just have one type of collagen. You want all the types of your body's absorbing and utilizing this collagen the way you desire the body to use it. But boy, oh boy, the gold standard for working out, if you're not on this, you don't even have to be working out. You can use it for your brain. It's creatine. Momentous creatine is fantastic. There's no fillers, no additive, pure, effective ingredients you can trust. It trusts everything when it comes to supplements. Momentous third-party test. There's no surprises. What you see on the package is what you get. So if you're like me, you want to feel your body with the best of the best, go to livemomentous.com and use the code DRG for 15% off of creatine and collagen and all their top-notch products. That is L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S.com with the code DRG for your discount. What about the gut? There's a lot of people who, who go, okay, look, long-term fasting, maybe five, six, seven days, you're gonna see big changes in the gut. Do we see something similar in intermittent fasting? Well, you know, it's interesting because I'm, I'm obviously very interested in the research about the gut microbiome. And we know that the small intestinal lining is only one cell thick. And we know even with shorter fasts, you're still getting some degree of repair of that lining. We know, as you stated appropriately, with longer fast, you get some stem cell activation, you get telomere improvement. Uh, so the longer the fast, the more gut microbiome building you will get. But I still believe fervently if we're giving ourselves a degree of digestive rest and we're allowing the migrating motor complex and other physiologic you know, um, machinery that is in the body to really be optimized, I do think there's a lot of benefit. And the migraine motor complex is one of these like nerdy things that I just love to talk about that it helps people understand why we really want to wait four to five hours between a meal so that our body has this little janitor system that's pushing debris and parasites and things that don't belong, pushing it forward so that it's propelled outside the body. And we can't do that if we're that that doesn't that doesn't work properly or efficiently if we're eating more frequently. So Yes, I do believe there's that reduction in inflammation, oxidative stress, improvement in some of those biophysical markers with the gut microbiome in particular. And it's interesting, the more we learn about the gut microbiome, and certainly when I trained a long time ago, we knew just very little about it. But the more I understand about the mechanisms between bifidobacteria and acromantia and all these other bacteria, they really do better when, with, even in terms of communication with one another when we're allowing our bodies to not be in this overfed state, which is unfortunately, that's the status quo right now. Yeah, yeah, big time. And and we are suffering from it and we're seeing all of these diseases arise. Migrating motor complex is my favorite nerdy thing. And it is, <laughs> and it's the thing when, actually I find a lot of people who just stop snacking, their gut starts feeling better so fast and they go, wait, was it just the snacking? Well, yeah, it's a big part of it. Um, and, and, and it draws me to like, the next part of it is like how we become so addicted to the food. We have an addiction to even just eating. And sometimes we're just eating because not even we're hungry. There's just an association. Like you said, dopamine, dopaminergic connection that we have. And it's, and it's played by so many things in our life over and over, right? And we're on our phone. We're getting really quick gratification. Of course, we just want to just get our hands on some food, right? And um, that addiction piece is really big. Have you had clients really have that food addiction and then through fasting start breaking away and making space for some healing? Yeah, well, I, I think what I would say is when women present themselves, because I work exclusively with women, and they identify that they've had a, a, a disordered relationship with food, whether it's anorexia, bulimia, binge eating, the first thing I say is whomever you're working with, let's make sure that they feel that the work that you're doing with them is putting you in a position where it would be healthy for you to eat less often. And I find for a lot of the binge eaters, the ones who have shared that with me and are working concurrently with a clinical psychologist or someone who's a, a specific to binge eating behaviors, that many of them learn to trust the intuition of their bodies. Yeah. Of course, there's always the exception. There are people who 
have a binge eating history and every time they they open up their feeding window so they maybe they fasted 16 18 hours they then binge because their body has this has this thought process that you know they don't know when food is coming and therefore they want to eat as much food as quickly as they can and i think on a lot of different levels it's really knowing ourselves and i have no problems with people trying intermittent fasting that have those histories but i think we have to be really clear and honest about are they healed are they in a position where they feel like they're triggered to binge or they're triggered yeah. to um you know to to restrict more or are they bulimic and they're they're eating and then they're purging and this is triggering those behaviors maladaptive mechanisms so yes there are definitely the women who've shared with me that that fasting has helped heal them but i've had just as many that have said I can do, you know, three meals a day and not snacking in between, but I cannot go 14, 15, 16 hours. It just gives my brain this thought process. Okay. I think okay. on a lot of different levels, it's really about um, knowing ourselves and knowing how much stress can we ask our bodies to withstand. And it's really helpful for people to understand that can you be healed from binge eating disorders or disordered relationships with food and be able to fast successfully yes mm. but i think you have to do the healing first um whatever is contributing to that and you know you touched on hyper palatable high, highly processed foods and i would agree with you fervently that far too many of us are so addicted to our brains being lit up by the chemicals the salt sugar fat that are designed to be as intoxicating and addictive as possible in order to heal from that, we really have to eat less processed foods. And I don't say that to sound like that's an insurmountable uh, mountain to cross. For a lot of people, it is. But we just don't want to be keeping those things in our homes. And we want to lessen the likelihood we're exposed to them when we're out. And that can really be very, very helpful. And, and it's interesting on Twitter, there's a huge community of individuals that have gone from being obese and overweight and insulin resistant to using fasting and low carb and ketogenic diets to get to a point where they're finally satiated, you know, emotionally mm. and otherwise. And as you appropriately stated, many people eat for reasons beyond hunger. Like they're not eating for true intrinsic hunger. They're eating because they're bored, because they're scared, because they're stressed. And certainly coming off the pandemic, I think a lot of people have experienced that when they felt like there was nothing else they could do. It was like, okay, at least I can find comfort in the bag of chips, the ice cream, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. And, and and this is something that we've seen so much, like you said, especially after COVID, over and over, there was so much more comfort foods, hyper palatable foods. I'm home all the time. I'm bored in between calls. You know, oh, I'm done with work. Let me just eat something else. One thing that I was thinking to myself uh, is when someone is, they've done 16 hour fast, right? Is there an appropriate first meal? Is there an appropriate first meal? Because sometimes if I do a 16 hour fast, I go, oh, whoa, I'm really hungry. I feel like I could just really pig out. Is there an appropriate first meal or, do, or are we, or how do I make sure I'm not overeating or getting the wrong macronutrients? What do you tell your clients? Well, I think that it really comes down to knowing yourself. I have some patients who prefer to have bone broth. They right. want to have, uh, you know, full fat yogurt with some berries to break their fast. They want to have a light salad and then maybe an hour later they eat a meal. I'm of the belief system, if I'm sitting down to eat a meal, I'm eating a meal. So it's either protein and fat, and in some instances, the protein and fat are together, salmon, steak, ribeye, et cetera, or protein and the right types of carbohydrates, the unprocessed variety. And I think for many, many people, I really encourage them to do a bit of trial and error. What makes you feel good? What gives you energy? I personally eat two meals a day. So when I sit down for the first meal, I don't want to just have a protein shake. I don't want to just be grabbing a piece of fruit. I want to actually sit and eat a meal. I think that is part of um, the problem for a lot of people is they eat on the go. And so they never actually physiologically are in the right, you know, they're not on the parasympathetic side of their autonomic nervous system. They're in their sympathetic where their bodies are not going to detoxify. They're not properly going to be able to digest and break down their food because they're doing mindless activities. Maybe they're driving in their car, they're feeding their kids. And they're trying to eat a meal. So I, I do fervently believe that um, there's a bit of bio-individuality, but really wanting to make sure that your first meal is 40 to 50 grams of protein at a minimum and experimenting to feel like what feels best. So if you have that bone broth and then an hour later you have a meal, great. 
If you decide you want that, you know, full fat Greek yogurt with some berries and some nuts, great. And then you're having another meal or just sit down and have a meal and a real meal, you know, protein, veggies, and fats or carbs, depending on what you need. And then that's a, the, a lot of those satiety mechanisms are activated so that you're not, you're too hung, you're not hungry anymore. You're not looking in the pantry. You're not looking for something sweet. You're like, I'm satiated. I feel good. You put everything in the dishwasher, you go about your day or wherever you are. And I think it's really important because when you're fully satiated, when you're, when you're very full or comfortably full, let me be clear about that, then you are less likely to be making poor food choices until your next meal. I think uh-huh. part of it is, I think so many of us were under eating protein, overeating carbs for such a long period of time. No wonder an hour later, we're looking for the granola bar or a protein bar or you know we're looking for a snickers bar in the in the middle of the afternoon or soda or a coffee and it's because we have so much degree we have so much blood sugar dysregulation versus making sure you're hitting those protein macros so that you can ensure that when you get to that point where you're breaking your fast you're going to have success for the rest of the day Mm. and and for you you say 40 to 50 grams of protein is is a good number to go by for that is, although, you know, if I, if I ask women to track their macros, sometimes when they track their macros, they realize they're having 20 grams, maybe 30. Right, and so I encourage right. them to slowly start increasing their macros up so that they will get to that point. So they're aiming for no less than 100 grams a day. And for people that are listening and say, there's no way I'm getting close to that, that's okay. It's something to work towards. But we, I think a lot of my work is really focused on helping people understand that muscle is this organ of longevity and that we want to maintain muscle mass. And one of the ways we do that is hitting those protein macros, lifting weights and getting good quality sleep. So I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but it's one of the reasons why it's such a large focus of my work and helping people also understand we start to lose muscle mass north of 40. It's something called sarcopenia. It's not a question of if, but when. So you have to work against what is, you know, uh, you know, what is going to happen if we're not working against it. So understand we build peak bone and muscle mass in our 20s and 30s. And for a lot of individuals, and I'm going to speak to women when I say this, many women are on oral contraceptives from their teen years up until when they decide to get pregnant. And this keeps women in a low estrogen state where they lose out on the ability to continue to build more bone when they're younger. And I'm seeing women in their 40s and 50s that we do a DEXA scan, which is an evaluation of looks like not only a bone mass, but also muscle mass. And all of a sudden they're like, why am I osteopenic? Uh. Why is this happening? And so again, it goes back to that. It's really important that we're proactive about maintaining muscle mass, bone mass. And again, going back to the protein, the lifting weights, the high quality sleep, like three areas that I think are important. These days, these days, it seems like everyone is carrying on a beverage, whether it's soda or flavored water, or kombucha, or coffee or tea. But not all beverages are created equal when it comes to quality and health benefits. That is why I become obsessed with Peaks Sun Goddess Matcha. I've been using this for, it's one of the first supplements I really invested in. It's four years ago, probably. And it's not just any old matcha powder. We're talking organic ceremonial grade matcha tea that has been meticulously screened for pesticides, heavy metals, mold, and even radioactive isotopes. Peak takes no shortcuts. Their matcha is cultivated by ninth degree tea masters in Kagoshima, Japan, using century old traditions. Their plants are shaded for 35% longer than usual to maximize the production of vital compounds like L-theanine for calm, steady energy and chlorophyll for its detoxifying anti-aging properties. I start every morning with a frothy cup of sun goddess matcha, not just for energizing my body. You know, we all want to get that caffeine kick. Yeah, okay. But for the amazing gut health, metabolism boosting, and antioxidant benefits. The phytonutrients nurture my digestive system. The EGCG compounds help my body burn calories efficiently. And the chlorophyll gives my skin the awesome reading. You see I'm glowing right now, right? That's because of the matcha. There's perfectly proportioned packets that are easy to mix with water whenever I need to pick me up. So easy to make a consistent self-care ritual. Peak is offering you, the Heal Thyself listener, 15% off of their sun goddess matcha plus a free beaker and a rechargeable frother when you go to peaklife.com slash DRG. They're so confident that you're going to love it. There's even a 30-day money-back guarantee. No code at checkout. Just go to P-I-Q-U-E-L-I-F-E.com slash DRG. You're going to get 15% off plus all those freebies. And goes back to the fasting. This is why I think it's important that you're getting at least two good-sized meals in every day in your feeding window. I'm not a fan of sustained OMAD. I know there's probably someone out there who doesn't like to hear that, 
but it's because more often than not, people, men and women, cannot get enough protein into their feeding window to be able to maintain that lean muscle mass. I, man, I'm so inspired. Listen, I, I did a little fast in honor of our uh, our talk today. I think this is probably number hour 17, right? Awesome. And it's usually longer than I go. I usually go about like maybe 14. Uh, so, but I'm feeling good and I'm feeling hyper-focused. So the benefits are real. Please tell me about this book that I see right behind you and uh, the giant book, Intermittent Fasting Transformation. What are we going to find in it? Yeah, it's a great book that uh, I'd created a program probably four years ago about a 45-day program where it's designed for women. Um, obviously, that that viral TED Talk was kind of what started this whole uh, kind of movement. But it walks women through how to fast for their physiology, how to fast for their menstrual cycle if they're still getting a cycle, how to fast in perimenopause and menopause, and gives you the science behind the why and also gives you a day-to-day plan as well as over 50 recipes that were created by this amazing chef, uh, Beth Lipton, that were designed to be able to hit those protein macros and to be able to you know, facilitate the understanding that yes, we can challenge our bodies like maybe one day, maybe one day out of the month you do OMAD or maybe you do one longer fast depending on what your needs are and what your goals are, but helping people understand the why and the science behind it and allow them to have an accessible book. It's kind of like having me in your pocket um, a really nice way for people to be able to honor their bodies. And when men reach out and ask, you know, do you have a book for men? I always say, just follow the menopausal women because that's, it. you know, the hormones of men and the hormones right. of menopausal women, there's not as much fluctuation. And so um, it's a really great opportunity to, um, you know, embrace this. And it's the first book written for women by a female clinician. And so I'm really proud of it. I've gotten a lot of amazing feedback and um, something I'm very grateful to have been able to do. And I'm grateful that you're bringing it to the people, right? We need this information big time. And I love that it's just not a big blanket and says, here's fasting, here's three types of fast you do for everyone. But it's really, you know, put together and has the program. And for someone like me who needs recipes because I, that creativity is not coming out in my dishes. That's perfect. That's amazing stuff. Um, And where do people find you? How are we going to find you now? Yeah, probably easiest to start with my website. So www.cynthiathurlow.com. You can get access to me on Instagram, which is probably where I'm most active. I'm a little snarky on Twitter, so be forewarned. And I have a free Facebook group called the Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle backslash my name. I have two podcasts, uh, Everyday Wellness Podcast, which is consistently ranked as a top iTunes nutrition podcast. I'm very proud of it. It's one of my favorite things that I do. And I currently co-host the uh, Intermittent Fasting Podcast with Melanie Avalon. And so uh, many, many opportunities to connect with us, whether it's the book or on social media and everything is housed on my website. So you can just go there and, and find out more about me and programs that I run and my team and all the amazing work that we're doing to help women embrace the um, whatever stage of life you're in. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Listen, you stay busy. You are a busy woman. Two podcasts, all the social media. You got a book over there. I honor that. And I got all the love to what you're giving to the world. This is so powerful i can't wait to get on your twitter and look at these these snarky posts i really i really <laughs> i know i know you're from jersey so i'm not gonna be surprised but i can't wait to just be entertained thank you so much for everything you're doing in the world for taking the time sitting down and having this awesome awesome conversation on intermittent fasting thanks so much it's been a pleasure thank you thank you thank you wow wow donuts (laughs) thank you guys thank you everyone um i guess i'll speak now um well from episode one in refinery 29 on the corner and I was so nervous that I had no saliva in my mouth. And I was like, what do I, health and well, melatonin. And uh, to the point where I feel so comfortable that I want to be in front of the camera. Thank you, Lewis, for really uh, wanting to do this for, for the health of the people. And, you know, you seeing that within me. And all of you, thank you so much, everyone who's been doing this. You guys, I really do appreciate this. We're doing a lot for the world. A long way from this picture where we had a vision together to do something in this world and we're really doing it. So thank you, Lewis.
and everyone. Love you, buddy. Love you. Thank you. Wow, what a set. These are gluten-free vegan? Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Let's dig in then. <laughs>All right, everyone, no knowledge bomb today, but more just a moment of gratitude. You know, I think about our first episode that I've ever done, and it was on amalgams, I believe, and sitting down in front of the camera, as much as I did love being in front of the camera and educating, more importantly, I was really nervous to start this podcast because there was so much information I knew and so much information that I wanted to share but I didn't know if I could deliver it the way that I wanted to. And I had this imposter syndrome. And a lot of you may know about that or feel that you are not worthy enough or not good enough to really be in a place of teaching or in a place of leadership. Um, and to look back, and before I got on to this show, uh, we were looking back on our, all the old episodes, all the way even back to one, and I can see that the want to teach and the want to give all this really empowering information was there, um, but the confidence wasn't fully there. So the growth between was not only just as a job and talking to you all and doing this as a passion, passionate job, but also in myself as a person. I came in here thinking that I knew everything there was to know about health. And I soon was sobered by these incredible guests who knew so much about so much. And as I had them on here and I learned with you all, we both started elevating our health, all of us, the guests, me, you, and learning from such a powerful community, hearing the feedback from all of you, how this guest has changed your life. This knowledge bomb has changed your life. This intervention has changed your family's life. How many lives we could have saved. I mean, it's more than just a podcast in that light, isn't it? But the journey from thinking I knew everything about health and again, being sobered by so much more and seeing that health was so much more than when I started just about toxins and diet, learning how much of emotional aspects, psychosomatic, mental health plays a role in your health. Gut health has been an overarching thing for so many people. And of course, the toxic stuff that I love talking about. But now we've become more comprehensive on this show We've uh, become more intentional and directed. And I think by virtue of that, we've created more space for all of you to grow more and expand yourself and your vision of what health is because health ultimately is the embodiment of who you are. And if we can allow ourselves to be who we are while eating healthy, while avoiding those toxins, while sleeping well, while having good community, then you're clicking on all cylinders. And that's what we always will strive to do here at Heal Thyself. From the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for 200 episodes, all the support, all the love, all the DMs, all of the comments, all the subscribing, everything. We really, really, really all appreciate it. People behind the camera, producers, there's a lot of people put work into this on love. Thank you.